hello everybody and welcome. Um, Patrick's not here today, so on his behalf, I'll say it's a great day to be optimistic. Uh, today we have Tucker Max and Joe Norman um, having a conversation about Doomer Optimism. Tucker Max is the co-founder of Scribe Media. He's a public speaker, um, an author who has written four New York Times bestsellers and a fellow alumni with yours truly of the University of Chicago. Joe Norman, founder and chief scientist at Applied Complexity Science, famous for his hot takes on localism, complexity, and risk. Um, so I want to start the conversation today by just having Tucker, you know, introduce himself, tell us a little bit about your background, what are you known for, um, and what are you into these days? Right, so um, most recently I started a company called Scribe Media. We help people write, publish, and market their books. So we've done Nassim Taleb's last book uh, we did. We did David Goggin's book, Can't Hurt Me, which is one of the best-selling books the last three years. Uh, Tiffany Haddish, Dan Sullivan, a bunch of people like that. Um, we've done uh, close to, we're coming up on a thousand books. And then we also have some huge names coming, uh, like like really big. I can't actually say because they want to keep it a secret until it comes out. But um, that's most recently, um, I'm probably best known for writing a book called I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell, which spent six calendar years on the New York Times bestseller list. And then uh, in the New York Times, uh, this is back before they were fully woke, said that I uh, created a new literary genre called fratire, which is like ridiculous because I wasn't in a fraternity. Like, you know, I went to Chicago like you did. I mean, there were frats there, but be serious. I'm not going to join those jokers. <laughs> uh, and uh, um, I, I, it's not satire. It was just stories about my life. And so it was like, it was like typical New York Times, right? Identify a cultural trend and screw every ounce of it up. Um, uh, so that's kind of what I'm best known for, um, I think, publicly. And then this all came about because on Twitter, like I know Joe and I follow a lot of you guys on Twitter. I... Um, I mean, I've been paying, I've known for a long time that, that, you know, things were not what they seemed and the world was going a certain direction. And then of course, people like to say COVID hit, no, the lockdowns hit. And then I realized, oh, wow, I actually didn't really know as much as I thought. And then I woke up over these past 18 months and realized I need to get ready. Um, and so then started really kind of learning about this world. And I mean, I'm, right now I'm calling, I'm three weeks into that you can kind of see that's my ranch three weeks into um, moving on to uh, my ranch right outside, not right outside, it's been 45 minutes outside Austin um, in a different county, importantly from Travis County, which is where Austin <laughs> is. And uh, like we're in the middle, you can kind of tell this is, I'm set up in my master bedroom, like I'm some fucking poor person, right? Because <laughs> we don't have anything set up yet. We got a new roof going on. We got AC, uh, new AC units. I got three generators coming. Run, one to run the house, one run to run the well, one to run the outbuildings, like livestock. Like it's like a fucking zoo here um, because I don't think we have a whole lot of time to get super well prepared for what's coming. And so I'm not going to waste any. And that's kind of, I know we were talking about this and that's kind of how I ended up here. I'm curious. Can can we just kind of dive into questions and whatnot? Of course. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious about your. So you said you know uh, you adjusted it from well, not COVID hit, but the lockdowns hit. I'm curious. Were you in Austin at the time, and like, what was your experience of of the lockdowns there? Like, what, yeah. Why, why, and why do you differentiate it that way? Why do you why did you make that clear like that? 
Yes. So I, I've lived in Austin for like 13 years, which basically makes me a lifer in Austin because half the people here have been here for a year or less. Right. And so um, Austin used to be when I moved here, it was so funny, man. When I moved to Austin in like 09 or oh, yeah, I think it was 09. Um, the people, the original Austin, like keep Austin weird people. I was in the group of people that moved to Austin where they're like, oh, those people are moving. We need to leave. Right? <laughs> like I was like part of it. If I'm being really honest, I hate to admit it, but it's the truth. I was kind of it, like the whatever you want to call it, the yuppie uh uh, rich people moving into austin that pushed out the original ones and then recently with all the california assholes coming in like i'm like fuck this i'm leaving like i'm following those people out to dripping and then those people who were in dripping are now going further out it's hilarious but yeah i was in austin and you know in march of of 20 it's crazy it's only been 18 months literally it's been 18 months since covid hit really kind of really hit right which in america was about march and um and i was here uh when they decided to cancel south by and i remember like thinking at the time i totally you can actually go look at my twitter timeline um i was totally in favor of canceling uh uh south by right because at the time we didn't know what this was like it could have been something actually horrible and dangerous and it seemed like it um, and so like me and Tim Ferriss and some other people were like, Austin people were like, no, you got to cancel it. Whatever. And like, they almost didn't. And then they did. And it was like, great. And I was super happy for them. And then like, you know, my company, we sell a luxury marketing good. And so like, we went from a full sales calendar to no calls in March. And it was like, okay, like we got to figure this out. And so, um, long, long story short, I basically just did two week-long webinars where I taught everything that my company does, like how to write books, how to publish, how to market, like I step-by-step, step, you know, people pay us 40 to 120 grand and I taught it all and it blew us up. Like it was like, boom, we went through the roof. And so we, we took all those videos, put them up for free, call it scribe book school. And then April, we had a record month. And then we have had record months every month since basically every month we've been doing amazing. And about May, I started to realize, oh, hold on a minute. This is bullshit. And like uh, the beginning of May, by the end of May, like me, like, uh, you know, I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu and MMA and my instructor's Brazilian, right? And so like, they think everything's bullshit. And like, like he was back in gym in May and I was like, I followed him and it was like a third, maybe a quarter of us. And then like by the middle of the summer, it was like, okay, this whole thing is a scam. And I don't know, but yeah, COVID exists, of course. But like, it's basically, if you are whatever, under 60 and in even mildly good health, it's basically the flu, right? And so this is bullshit. And then kind of watching it all unfold, I really thought I understood how the world worked. And it was like, one of those things was like, wow, man, the things I, like the rabbit hole, like it was like, I was looking in the rabbit hole and thought I saw the back. And then I stepped in during COVID. I'm like, oh, hold on. The, I can't even find the bottom. And, um, and that was when I was like, oh man, okay. And, and, uh, and I'll tell you, dude, the real moment for me when I knew the Republic had fallen was January 6th. And it was for the opposite reason of most people. Like all the lunatics were like, that was an insurrection. They're captured fools. They're the definition of non-player characters. When I saw the videos from January 6th, I was like, oh fuck. I'm like, you stupid idiots. This is exactly what they want to happen. This is going to be the thing they try. 
And I just knew, I knew this was like, this was the moment where we weren't going back. That America, as we understood it, the idea of America, the institution of America, the traditions, uh, it maybe was done before January, it was over before, but that was the moment where I knew, like that was the, the bridges being burned on the Rubicon. I knew. And I remember, like, I, I felt it in my gut before I even knew it intellectually. And I was like a, a dickhead to my wife for a day and snapping at my kids. And she's like, what the hell's wrong with you? And it took me a couple of days. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I was grieving, truly. Like, okay, that, that was January. Uh, uh, like, and I, oh, man, all the shit that's kind of new. I'm like, I knew. And so that from there, uh, like, we started getting very serious about, okay, what what does it look like um, over the next, I don't know, two to five years? Because America uh, is going to break apart in some way, shape, or form. Um, uh, whether it's a true mass breaking the way the Roman Empire did, or whether it's like, uh, you know, into small federated, sort of a, a European federated model. Well, who fucking knows? I don't know. And we really started uh, thinking about it. And I realized a couple things. So first off, almost everyone who talks about survivalism or preparing are idiots who have no idea what they're talking about, right? No, really, like, you know, I, this is not my, that's not my space. Like I didn't, I, I grew up in a rural farm hunting, but not like preparing or war. I'm American. Like we've never really known shortages. We don't know real hardship. I don't, you know, like I grew up, I had a real shitty childhood, but shitty for America. It's not, not like, like shitty for the world. And so like, um, that's an important I, I, point. Yeah. No, it's a hugely different point. And so like, I remember reading, like, I'm like, okay, hold on. All these people who are expert preppers or survivalists are saying like stockpile dried fruit and shit. I'm like, the fuck are you going to do with that? Like, that's stupid. And so <laughs> what I did was I went and talked to, or they're like, you know, talking about like how to survive in the wild. I'm like, what the fuck are you going to do that in America, man? That doesn't make sense. And so I went and talked to, I've got a, a friend who's Croatian and a friend who's Serbian. Um, they obviously don't get along super well, uh, but like <laughs> who like went through like, like the, you know, the, the, whatever you want to call them, the Yugoslavian wars. And then I have another friend who's Chechen, right? Which is like a lot of people forget like how horrible Chechnya was for about a decade. And I went and talked to them and they all went through like, and uh, there's some decent stuff online. We're not, uh, some people have written about this, but man, when you talk to someone who went through it, who literally survived it on a day-to-day -day basis, it's, it's so weird talking to them. And then I know another guy who's kind of famous in, in Austin. He's a, run, a distance runner. Like, the, it's crazy, man. This dude, he's Rwandan. And so, like, long, long story short, he pretended he was dead. And he was in a stack of bodies that, that he was uh, uh, Hutu and Tutsis burned. Like his burns all over his fucking body. He's like one, one of the bravest dudes I know. I talked to them. Like, what was it like to go through this? To go through a societal supply chain cultural breakdown. And uh, there were a lot of different perspectives, but there were a couple of core things that they really impressed upon me that I took from it, right? And then once I got that knowledge, I actually went and read deeper in the prepping sort of space. And I realized, oh, there are people who understand this, who are talking about this. They're just not the ones who do the best marketing, right? And so like, um, I went and found those people and talked to them and it became real clear. There's a couple of things. First, you have to think hierarchically, right? Like the first fucking thing you have to think about is defense, right? Like 
How physically prepared are you to protect yourself and your shit and your people? I've been trying to inject this point into the doomer optimism conversation kind of right. so, on a regular well, basis because there's a lot of uh, whatever you want to call it. There's a, there's a hesitancy to, to have this discussion. But I'll, I'll tell you why. Because for 100 years in America, we have been we can't most people can't imagine what it's like uh, to not live under a, a at least fairly stable consistent rule of law with men with guns who will enforce that rule of law fairly which mm-hmm. is a really really unusual weird period in history mm-hmm. right like the, the thing you know joe i'll tell you the way i break people of this is i always ask them listen you're gonna have to pay protection money to a gang of men with guns and you've been doing it your whole life the only question in the future is who you're paying and how loyal they are. They're like, what are you talking about? I don't pay protection money. I'm like, do you pay taxes? Like, yeah, of course. I'm like, okay, what happens if you don't pay taxes? And they kind of look at me. I'm like, men with guns. The ones that if you call, if there's problems, the same ones show up and take your shit, right? And they kind of look at me and they're like, right. You are paying protection money through the state to sheriffs, city police, and the military. Those, that's a gang of men with guns, right? They're just a great gang of men with guns who believe in a system of ideas and morals and they're like uh, efficient and they're nice dudes, etc. But make no mistake about it, they're a gang of men with guns. And if you think they're not, ask someone who, usually they're liberal and I'm like, ask a black person in America if they've had the same experience as you have. And like, oh, and then they get it, right? And so it's like, like, so the question, the first question is defense, right? Now, thankfully, right, like said, I've been, it's, a la- it's a layered thing. It's the first question because thing. it's the last layer. Right. No, thing. because I, like, I'll talk to, I know a lot of super rich people and they're like, oh, but I'm, you know, I've got three years of food and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, cool. Do you have any guns? Like, yeah, I've got my gun. And I'm like, okay, cool. So it's you and your wife and you have one or two guns. Yeah. And I'm like, cool, because I've got 10 dudes and we're all heavily armed. So I'm going to come kill you and take your shit. And then, the, then they get it, right? It's like, oh, fuck. It's not just defending yourself. That's number one is defense. And th- this but is the I'll second this layer. Is, this is the reason, sorry, I was going to say, this is the reason that, you know, we talk, Doomer Optimism is the name of this podcast. And I'm, I'm, you know, Ashley and I have a thing of go back and forth about labels and the insufficiency of labels and all that. And I am very much not optimistic about any doom situation precisely for this reason like okay so now this is the this is what we devolve into is now we have more gangs and more things and we got to work figure all that out and the self-sorting process that, that that's going to be is, is going to be look quite different than uh what what people are used to seeing than what most people yes well most people understand absolutely but the, so the but the first question is it person you have to think about defense and death right which is a military concept that um, I'll tell you the group of people you want to get on. I can introduce you to a couple. The people you want to get on to explain this are special forces guys. And I specifically military Green Beret special forces, because this is what they've spent the last 50 years around the world doing is creating actual insurrections or training uh, citizens and partisans to fight in insurrections, creating militias, all that kind of stuff. So they were the only Americans as a group that I know that really understand what's going on. And, and understand how to prepare for it, right? There's actually a really good book um, uh, the, about this. Oh God, what was his name? The guy who wrote Prairie Fire. Do you know him? You know what I'm talking about? 
Um, hold on, hold on. Uh, uh, I would get him on the podcast. He's really fucking good. Uh, Prairie Fire. He wrote you, two you books. You were doing, you, or you did uh, David Goggins' book, right? But I think he was a seal. Yeah, yeah so, he's a seal, and he's not thinking about any of this stuff. Uh, okay. Clay Martin is his name, and he wrote a book called Prairie Fire, another one called Concrete Jungle. Um, uh, so a lot of what I, I would say a good portion I learned from him, but mostly I talk to people I know, right? Uh, anyway, so defend of self, defense of self, but then the next question is your community, right? Your network. And I mean like people who you are going to stand a post with, right? And, I, and you can mean that literally or figuratively, but like, so I live in Dripping. I, uh, we just moved here. I already know all my neighbors, right? And then within about a 10 minute drive, I have four really good friends who own ranches, right? So in an absolute worst case scenario, I'm pretty sure I could muster on my range. I have 10 rifles at least. And I know I can muster at least 10 to 20 more people with rifles, not just a rifle by itself, no good. But I can get 10 to 20 people here or we go somewhere else, whatever. If you can have a group of people who are armed, man, that is like, that is really the thing. And every single, the Chechen, the Bosnian, the Serb, they all said the same thing. Or the Croatian, all said the same thing. If you don't have a group of people, if you're trying to do this alone, you're probably not going to make it. Right? Like, it's bad. So defense, community. Then you got to start thinking about next level, which is, it depends how you organize the order of these, but essentially water, right? What's your source of water? What's your source of food? What's your source of energy, right? Can, and if can you're, back, can, we back, can we back up for a second? I want to back up to community for a second. So, in indeed, like without a group that's that's cooperating, I mean, what what power do you have? And my sense is though that there is, I mean, I would say the vast majority of Americans don't have such a thing. No, that kind of no. community. Did you did no. you talk to any of your friends, or did you just have any general thoughts about like in the in the real breakdown scenario? the real collapse scenario, what will happen is, of course, a lot of these things will self-organize and emerge very rapidly. Yes. Um, you'll say, oh, you know what? We never talk. We're neighbors. Uh, let's uh, work this out so we can work together. That, that's going to happen. Um, did, did, what's, what's your thinking around that process? Is that you know, just as good, not as good? So in my life, I'll tell you that like, I'm going to take a long route to answer your question. It's better than nothing, no doubt. But um, in my life, I've noticed a trend with me is that I don't notice every trend coming, of course, like I hated TikTok and I still do, right? So I don't catch everything. But the things I catch, I always catch, I'm like, you know, like in the, the what is it called? The more tech adoption curve, there's the, the pioneers, right? And then there's the early adopters. I'm always an early adopter, right? So like, I'm never one of the pioneers, you know, like, you know, there have been people who've been talking about this and prepping for 20 years, right? Who like have their everything built and they've been doing it, you know, living off grid or nearly off grid for years and all this sort of stuff. Um, that's not me. I really just started thinking about this seriously for a year and seriously really preparing, honestly, for probably less than six months, right? Um, and it's one of those weird things where it's like, it's hard to start right away without a serious emergency, right? Like most people, you're right, Joe, are not gonna start until they have to, like until they absolutely have to. But like now I'll tell you though, I, I tend, I, I run in a circle of people who tend to be ahead of a lot of things, 
right? Uh, you know, like I got tons of friends who were into fucking Bitcoin in 2013, right? I mean, should I help James Altucher launch his book in Bitcoin? And so, like, and I'm, you know, I, I know people, this conversation, um, it has become one of the dominant conversations. And that's without me pushing it onto people. Like, I, I, not like I'm fucking calling up my friends being like, hey, how many thousand rounds of ammo do you have at your place? It's like, if they're not thinking about this, cool. That's not my problem. I'm worried about my shit right now. And I'm worried about finding my, tri my, my, my team, my tribe, my community. Um, uh, but I will tell you, man, there are a lot of people who are thinking about this now. Um, I think, I think we probably have about a year before people start to, I have a feeling that, that the next real trigger is going to be the midterm election section in America. I could be wrong. Um, cause I'm going to be ready before then for the shit to hit the fan. But, um, I have a feeling we got about a year and I think, um, let's just say, I'm just going to make up a number. If 1% of people are figuring this out now, we might be as high as 5%. Uh, those numbers are probably off, but like, We'll be two to three times the number who are thinking, having the conversations we're having now. A year from now, I think that number will be two to three X. And as long as we hit a critical mass of people who've thought about this and prepared, then, and there's enough info out there, then when it becomes an unavoidable truth, then I think for the most part, uh, the people who are late organizers We'll be able to catch up enough in some ways, right? I will tell you though, man, um, I have a, the best case scenario, the best case scenario, I think for what's coming is we see a lot more of broken, uh, insufficient supply chains. And we see um, a, a slow, uh, painful, but not mostly nonviolent. And when I say mostly nonviolent, I mean what we've seen the last 18 months. If you think that's violent, you don't really don't understand what violence really is. Um, the, a mostly nonviolent transition. And the best case scenario is my friends make fun of me because I have 20 pounds of honey in my garage and like, oh, how much of that honey have you eaten in the light? You know, I'll eat it eventually. It might take me a decade, in, you know, without broken supply chains. If things go best case scenario, I'm just going to have a, a lot of stuff that's going to take me years to go through. And that's fine because uh, the stuff I'm really stockpiling doesn't go bad. The worst case scenario, um, oh, the worst, worst case scenario is societal breakdown, like a true breakdown. I don't think we'll get there for a lot of reasons, but a bad, a very plausible, very bad case scenario, man, is a lot of people die. A lot of people. And I'm not even saying they die because they can't make it. I think if we see a sharp, catastrophic social break like if if uh welfare checks or if whatever what whatever you want to call unemployment if government benefits checks don't go out for a month and a half right it, it, and that coincides with a serious break in the industrial food supply chain which you and i don't eat from i'm sure but most people do i think and, and then like there's a lot of doomerism without optimism, I think you're going to see a lot of people essentially opt out. You're going to see a lot of people die. You're going to see a lot of people um, either let them give up, starve, start violence with the, uh, the effect of not caring. You're going to see a lot of that. That, like, that shit hap that's happened multiple other places around the world 
as they're going through their version of this cycle, we're going through the cycle of empire collapse. And so many people's identities and realities are built upon our culture and our society being a certain way. When it radically, dramatically shifts in a way that is not uh, positive in the short term, there are a lot of people who I don't think, forget not being ready for it, aren't even willing to adapt. You know, you saw that in World War II. Like you saw a ton of Europeans give up and die. Like seriously, like, I, I mean, listen, I'm Jewish, man. Like a huge number of the Jews that marched off to the death camps didn't believe what was happening as they walked into the gas chambers and sucked in the Zycon blue, knowing what was going on. Like they'd seen it fucking happen. Refused to admit it to themselves. Yeah, just a total right? reality. Yeah. Rejection yeah. of reality. Because know, I, to I accept it's that a- breaks their entire, their ego, right? They, they have to say everything I've thought in the past is untrue. And now I've got to readjust. And a lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people won't do that. I'm sorry. Yeah, actually, I, I also think something, you. no, no, it's okay. I think there's something to this, um, this doomerism that you often point out as very unhealthy uh, way of thinking. Like, don't have kids, or I'm just thinking of all the different ways that I could die peacefully. It's like <laughs> Joe, you, you, this, you know. I mean, it's like there, there is like a subset, and one of my favorite therapists, um, whose family was in the Holocaust, Esther Perel, talks about this, like you know, there's a subset of people who get out of the concentration camps and then they, they thrive. They say like life is short and, and difficult and, and we just need to thrive despite it. And then a bunch of other people who, um, who got out and just basically were depressed the rest of their lives for that reason. I'm, I'm curious to drill down a little bit more on the nuance of community building in America where people suck at it, like, um, you know, how do you start to build those coalitions with people? How do you, I, I, it's pretty easy for me in Uruguay, there's a huge culture of it. And I try to translate those experiences to people in the US, like, you know, just show up for people and buy people's things that they're selling and, and you know, show up to, to their events and, and sort of show that you're there for them. Um, but then, you know, I think it's worth talking about something I admittedly am not so comfortable talking about, like, when the shit hits the fan, how do those little bits of community coalesce into defense? Right. It's a, so it's a super good point. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the first... I actually had a dude ask me this, like an entrepreneur, a friend of mine, who like, he was kind of, honestly, like the, the, he spent a while with me listening to me talk about this and he all but asked me, how, how can I join your apocalyptic cult? You know, like, like, like that's kind of how he was seeing it. And, 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 uh, you know what, I'll tell, let me tell you what I I told him. And, uh, And this is when people ask a question like that, um, I always tell them, because it's usually paired with, when I talk about this, a lot of people start with, where do I go, right? And what I always tell them is there's nowhere to go, that there are no more safe places. There are only safe people. And if you want to be around safe people, if you want to be protected by a safe person, the best way to do that is to become one, right? Like I can sit here like I'm really good friends with Tim Kennedy, who's like kind of a fa- he's a Green Brain, real famous. He fought in the UFC and he talks about all this stuff, which you guys should totally give him on. He he's amazing. Um, I mean, I train with him in uh, jujitsu, and I train like I shoot with him, and um, 
I could totally glom onto him. Like, I love Tim. Tim loves me. He wanted me to buy land near him when he's, like, a little north of me. And, 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 and uh, listen, I'm, he's part of my extended community, right? Uh, but, like, I decided I didn't want to do that. And only because I felt like the world we're going into is going to need safe people who have decided to wake up and to look around and see what's coming and accept it and then prepare for it. And if I glommed onto him, um, and it's not disrespectful to him, it's just I would be relying on him to be my safe person instead of making myself one, right? And so what I was telling this guy, John, uh, I would like what I, my way of telling him that I'm not bringing him in onto my compound is because he would be not be an asset, right? And like right now, the way he thinks and the way he views the world and the skill sets he brings it, it aren't an asset. He's a drain, right? Because he's not thinking that way yet. And then I, we, I, then I started going through, okay, listen, you want to become an asset? Uh, stockpile useful assets as a beginning thing to develop skills, right? And then I started going through skills, right? Medical skills, machining skills, logistical skills, leadership skills, mechanical skills, violence skills, right? Leadership skills, all these sorts of things. Um, and so the way that I think, to answer your question, you begin building community by ensuring you are additive to any community you join before you even start, right? And I'll tell you, like, you might be thinking, I don't mean you, Ashley, but like the listener might be thinking, and I hate to say this, but it's true. I'm kind of a fucking loser. I don't bring anything. Um, I'm going to tell you, first off, that might, let's say that's true. Let's say some 27-year-old kid who's uh, uh, been a total depressed uh, uh, do-nothing his whole life is listening to this. Is like, what do I have to bring? Well, I can tell you right now, it is not hard at all to learn uh, a ton of skills. You could go become a diesel mechanic in like six months. Walk into any diesel shop, any, any machine shop that makes or sells anything, they will hire you on the fucking spot and train you because they can't find bodies. Any mechanic shop, any plumber, any electrician, any welder, whatever of those trades that you that find remotely appealing, they will hire and train you on the spot if you just show up every day. And they'll probably pay you better than you would make doing fast food. They'll pay you 25 bucks an hour to get trained because they can't find anybody, right? So if you show up in six months, you can have a, man, uh, you can have a serious skill, number one. Number two, another skill is honestly, can you deal with animals and grow things? I mean, I don't mean to sound glib or like an asshole, but here's the honest truth. And I'm not putting them down. Retarded people can do that, right? I mean, like, and I mean that like not in any way is like to be offensive or an asshole. Like it does not take a high level of intellect to deal with farm animals or to grow things. You just have to want to and be, and be willing to learn, right? So if you can, if you can, if you can, if you have a skill and you have the desire to develop more skills, very quickly you can become extremely valuable to a community. Now, once you have that skill, the next thing I would look for, if you're not a leader, I would look for a leader. Right? So, like I'm willing to lead. Most people aren't. So if you're not, look for someone like me. Or like you may say, yeah not that great of a leader i'm gonna go follow tim kennedy right or i'm gonna go follow joe norman cool because there's there aren't many right now but there are people who 
even if they're not loud and vocal, have stepped up and are stepping up. And every, I can tell you, cause I'm one of them. I run company and I'm building this. And like we we're building two out, when I said out structures, I mean like we're gonna have other families living. Um, the thing I would die for uh, almost is someone who shows up with a great attitude and some skill set and is willing to work their ass off. I mean, that's like. I think you might those... receive some applications from this. But, uh, <laughs> um, but so does that all make, does that answer that? your question? That was, Actually, does that answer the question? Ashley? Yeah, that totally answers the question. I, I mean, I basically, I, I mean, I think it's just like the the details of how it plays out are, are probably going to be context specific, but I, I really, I've constantly been preaching, you know, start with these concentric circles of control, start yes. with being as resilient as you can and on your individual level, then to the yes. family, neighborhood, community, and then out and out, but don't I think a lot of for a lot of people, the yes. utopian vision is to start at the community level, and it's and it's a little it, it doesn't it doesn't work and and also it it just requires a level of coordination and um, shared ideology that that can be extremely dangerous in a lot of cases and and I I'm like you know I don't know so yeah I think drilling down on the the details of that and how it plays out for a lot of people is is useful and important but I'll let well, Joe ask the the, next hold on this ties into probably what Joe's about to say next and what Joe and the sim study all the time nothing worthwhile that works builds top down everything worth, worthwhile that works builds bottom up and you're talking about building bottom up in this case is I'm physically fit I have the right mindset I'm able to protect myself now my family, my, you know, whatever is all of these things. And then my, you know, my, my tribe and yes, start with your, I mean, it's like Jordan Peterson says this, he's right. Uh, you want to change the world, change yourself first. And like, and he even gives you the first thing to start with, make your fucking bed. Like, that, which that, is, that's part of the bottom up certainly is kind of the working from the in, in or out. The other, the other part is like what Ashley's talking about, where a lot of people imagine that you build community that is you have some idea that will kind of allow a community to cohere around that idea and of course this is like the commune kind of approach to things like we have this core idea or belief set and we're all going to kind of build our community around that and and, and one of the things that ashley has pointed out uh, uh in, in her research and, and in other forums is that what you actually observe happening in places where community emerges is that people start working together on shared problems. So it's a problem solving thing. And the other things, those sort of things that tie things and, and allow people to cohere together into uh, maybe larger, more coherent structures, uh, structures follow out of that and flow out of that. They don't flow out of this, hey, we have an idea, you know, this is, you know, this thing is the one true God or something. And that's what we're going to center everything yeah. It's we have practical problems. We're going to start solving them one problem at a time. And well, but hold on. There's two different ways to look at the community, the the, the organizing idea, right? Um, I think it's very hard to come up with a good organizing idea in non-emergency times. I think we're entering into a time where it's actually going to be very easy. The organizing idea is going to be survival for a lot of people, and that is easy, right? That's like because it's like, okay, we're gonna get together. We're gonna survive this, what's coming, right? Now, what you're talking about is really building something that grows and thrives and flourishes. 
that comes after survival, then you got to go the next level up above survival, which is what's our purpose? You know, what's the idea behind our community? All that kind of stuff. It's one of the reasons religion has been so effective because it kind of solves all those problems in a very quick, easy story, et cetera. I'm totally with you. I don't think you need to go beyond survival um, for emergency situations. You know what I'm saying? To create a pretty well, good think, tribe and group. These two ideas are perfectly uh, uh, accord with one another. Like the yeah. emergency presents the problems to be solved. Yes, right. But then, so the, the question then, so here's why I'm the optimist though. The question then is, what do you do after the emergency? Because right. I actually think we're going to get this overall in the meta sense. I think um, somewhere in the next two to five years at, at most, Things are going to get bad, bad, really bad. How could it get worse? Oh my God, this is awful. And then it's going to hit bottom. And I don't know when bottom's going to be. I don't know how. It might only be a couple of weeks. It might be three months. It might be a year. I don't know. Uh, bottom it will seem like the end. It's funny. All through history, people's like, oh, the world's ending, the world's ending. You're going to see a bunch of that. And in a weird way, they're right. The world isn't. The world as they understood it, the reality that, that other people had defined for them is broken. And they're going to figure that out. The world itself is not fucking anything, of course. And then I actually think once we hit bottom, um, I think we're going to have a period. I don't know if it's six weeks. I don't know if it's six months or six years. We're going to have a period to where there's going to be, and you see this over and over in all the empire fall cycles, like the, the cycles all work like this. You have a period where people from outside the system, you know, the, the conventional older institutions that broke, that corrupted and broke uh, can step in to, uh, there'll be a vacuum and, and good people can step in with really good ideas. And these, those can take hold and we can go, you go into oftentimes coming out of these, you can go into golden ages. It is not assured or assumed. It is possible though. And, and then of course you can also have strong men and, and fascists go in and you can go into a dark age. It can go either way. I'm optimistic though, because I think once we get through the bad part, I think we're, I would bet, and I'm going to do everything I can to ensure that it happens, that we're going to move into a great age. Because all of these corrupt, corroded, captured institutions, uh, take your pick, um, will have broken. And in the process of them breaking, it will get horrible. But in the af once we've hit bottom, the aftermath will mean there's an, op uh, an opportunity to build new institutions and better institutions and things centered around people and around humanity instead of the institution, right? And I, that's what I'm optimistic about is what do we do after the fall? I think it can be amazing. That may not be worldwide, global, and golden age for everywhere, but there's no, I don't think there's ever been a worldwide golden age. Golden ages are region specific, always. I think we can actually go into one um, that would be amazing um, if we make that choice and if we do it that way, I think it can work. That, Joe, where I think having great organizing ideas is super crucial. That's where the story matters, you know? That's interesting. You know, there's a, there's a, uh, a really uh, nice ecologist named C.S. Holling, and he has this thing, he calls it a panarchy cycle, but it describes 
the cycles of ecosystems that they always go through. And it's just this kind of a cycle. It's, there's a, you know, there's an initial uh, building and self-organizing of things. Things become very interconnected with one another, tighter and tighter connection. And then eventually a cascade moves through the whole system and crashes. A, the para whole a parasite comes in that attacks the system because it's over-reliant overconnected it's always an outside parasite that's why sexual reproduction it, it can actually, come, it can point, actually right. come something somewhat internal because like, like it, it could, it could yeah, well, right, out of the system but but, but right. like either way it can kind of happen either way but the the crucial bit is that it's at these points where things have become very very tightly coupled together so one domino goes the whole thing crashes and the 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 interesting thing is in um like in system science one of the 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 known kinds of regularities that you see is that large scale things dominate the system. So little uh, fluctuations that are microscopic get damped out by the large scale system until just after the crash. Right, and right. That's, that's where the small scale things can rapidly scale up into the new mm -hmm. large scale things. And that's where you can go, oh, okay, now we're in a strong arm uh, uh, universe, that sucks. Oh no, actually now we're in a golden age universe. And the difference between the two can be not just small, but as small as the smallest difference might possibly be. That's yeah. and, and that goes back to Tucker's point about adoption and diffusion, like those early adopters and yeah. innovators. You don't need a ton of people on that left part of the, the adoption diffusion curve to, to allow for that cascading effect to take place. You don't need a lot. And the difference between that growing into the new dominant paradigm and, and dying out could be one person. It could be the smallest. Truly, yeah. one decision by one person at one specific time. Right. I'll give you an amazing human political example. The fall of Soviet Russia did not become a bloodbath because Yeltsin stood on the tanks outside of the Kremlin and convinced the tank commanders, there were about eight of them, to not fire on their own people. And because those eight commanders stood down it was essentially a peaceful transition. It could have easily been a massive bloodbath. And so I think the, the meta lesson here is that the way history progresses is, is like very non-linear. We tend to be living with our perspective in a very short amount of time, but history doesn't work in this linear trajectory at all. It bounces all over no, the place. It right. stays here for a while, then shifts. Um, and, and some people kind of uh, seem to have an intuition about that kind of come somehow yeah. predisposed to seeing that, even if they haven't personally lived through that. And some right. people, like you said, some people are so closed off to that as even a possibility that they almost can't perceive it, even if it's happening around them. And so so part of it, that, that kind of first kind of person is like kind of how you, we started out. You talked about you're already experiencing the emergency. January 6th, you know the date where you said, I'm experiencing an emergency. Like this is something different than what I thought was happening seems to be happening. And now I, I'm called to action. Now, now I have to do something about it. And I think I also started feeling the emergency. I think I, I started feeling it um, sometime actually around 2016. It was when, it was when uh, the, all, the whole election cycle was unfolding in 2016. That's when I started experiencing the emergency. That's yeah, because you were, you were early on this, man. You were much earlier than me. You were the one of the people I followed into the back no truly seriously <laughs> I mean, but like you said like early relative like there's people who have been seeing this thing and talk, talking about it for 20 years 30 years whatever um but it, and it's all the same thing obviously we have our own little wrinkles of what we see and what we believe in all of that but um yeah so so i started seeing it then we started we the first thing we did basically was start uh planting a little container garden in our you know we had a <laughs> rental property in arizona yeah we were planting a little container garden said you know 
I realized I don't I think the last time I planted a seed into dirt I was like in <laughs> second grade or something and <laughs> and I was like I don't really know that and actually it was quite a, a profound moment for me the first time we saw these little tom tomato seedlings pop up and you know like you said uh, a, a retard could have done it and I did but uh, it was a profound moment for me um, so so I think that that we're feeling the emergency already in different waves. But yeah, but, but I also, also, I, also the optimistic side is that nonlinearity that things can just yes. look like they're careening to you know the bottom of the cliff, and then all of a sudden the next day, whoop, right back up again. Right, and for me, for me, it was a, a it was a, like I, I just think of these things as process because for me it was a super long process of just like getting into environmentalism, realizing there's so many things that are screwed up, and reading like Kunstler and the long emergency, and it's just like okay, this is the world we live in now. And then it was just like punctuated points that proved my point constantly over time. A lot of, a lot of uh, around Hurricane Katrina was a big one where I was just like, what is the response here? Like, what is happening? Why is this stuff, ha you know, why are these levees breaking? What, what, where is the government? We had this, I had this, you know, thought that the government takes care of its people and, and yeah. we have a safe, society we live in i'm also very my, my curious about let me just inject one comment on that my transition was not from believing the government was going to help <laughs> you to not it was i thought the government was typically a failure when they try to do things but what my shift was realizing oh and they'll actually turn on me if that's convenient <laughs> yeah, fuck right. yeah. Like, and, like not just, yeah, not just right. fail me but turn on me actually come after me right right and then and then the financial crash too was a big one for me because it was like economists were the one in 2007 8 economists were literally up until the point being like this isn't happening keep your stocks don't right. sell anything they were like literally just gaslighting us and i was like no, I mean, it's definitely happening. And a bunch of people called it who I follow. And I was like, you know, this was just, it was like the, the, the elites versus, you know, what, what the masses are seeing, you know, disconnect thing, but thing, I'm also, oh, sorry, I was gonna say similar. No, thing. No, go, 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 go. Regardless of what one's, uh, you know, perception is of the seriousness of COVID at this point in not in March, in February, even, I think it was early February, World Health Organization said, keep flying. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. There's, it's there's racist to thing. lock down your borders. Yeah. yeah. Really, and so I like, accuse Trump of racism. Yes. Yeah. And don't use masks. Don't use masks. Right. Masks don't right. work at yeah. the very yeah. beginning for a, for a long sure. time. So, yeah. okay. But I'm also very curious about like the mirror between, um, you know, social collapse, but also people's individual journey. And I know your journey has been interesting. And I think a lot of people are interested in it. Like basically, has there any, been anything about your you know, human biography in the world that we're in, the lessons from your life that have been helpful in, in um, basically navigating these things. So this is gonna sound a little woo-woo um, and a little out there, uh, but think of what I'm about to say more metaphorically than literally. Um, it's been crazy to me. It f subjectively to me feels like um, my internal, emotional state and my internal emotional work has mirrored very closely the transitions and travails that America has gone through, right? Um, and and I'll, like, I'll tell you, uh, so first to answer your question, yes. I, the only reason I, I think I was able to wake up and see reality and accept reality 
is because I had done a shitload of therapy. And specifically, I did years of talk therapy, which was pretty good, but it really didn't fundamentally change me. What really helped me fundamentally change was psychedelic medicine, right? Like specifically MDMA therapy was absolutely game-changing for me. And like, now a lot of people think of psychedelics is like, oh, like, you know, you're going to see all kinds of cool stuff and expand your mind. And yeah, like you can totally use psychedelics for that. And Terrence McKenna and people like that did, and they were really good at explaining what they saw from there and that experience. And I've gotten some of that on psychedelics. It's not why I started it. And, and I haven't really dove fully into the mind expansion element. Like for me, it's about addressing trauma. Like the hard reality is uh, that I think Western society specifically is almost in all ways horrifically traumatic. Um, almost every element of it. It's almost as if it was designed to be traumatic. And maybe as an emergent property of some underlying part of the system, it's become that way. Because God knows it's gotten worse in a lot of ways. In some ways, some ways it's gotten better, but a lot of ways, most ways it's gotten worse. And, and it's hard to even see it. It's like convincing a fish it swims in water until I did, I, until I had done MDMA therapy, I had never actually felt love. I thought I I had no idea what love felt like. I felt it for the first time at age 42, like uh, sitting on that sofa. The first time uh, it really hit me, I, it was like overwhelming. And then, man, the, the, that was three years ago. I've spent three years really immersed in this therapy, um, dealing with my trauma and all of the problems the trauma caused, the way my, I think, the way I see things, the way I frame things, all the ego issues. I mean, that, that's like a whole separate part. I mean, that, I could talk about that for hours, right? But a huge reason why I was willing to see this reality, able to react to it, um, a, a, is because of that work, right? I'm not, my identity is not wedded to Western uh, American, like conceptions of patriotism or Americanism or all this sort of stuff, right? Like, yeah, yeah there's certain parts about America that are fantastic and great and I get it. But when you really do serious emotional work, right? And you don't need, not, I mean, I know plenty of people who do all their work without psychedelic medicine. It is not a necessity to do deep emotional work. I mean, fuck Buddha did it. Like all thousands of people, millions of people for years have done it with meditation or other, other things. It took psychedelics to get through all of my trauma and my ego shit to kind of break that open and help me feel. Now I really just, I like, it's funny, the, the deeper I've gotten, the more work I've done, the less I need the medicine, which is how it should work. Um, but I'll tell you, the more connected I've become to myself, the more I love nature, the more I want to spend time in nature, the more I care about uh, environmentalism, like you talked about, but not in a goofy, kooky way, tying myself to trees in a way where like, I'm like, oh, this is a energetic system. And I am a part of that energetic system. I don't stand apart from it. I am a part of it. And I need to understand that and respect that, right? And understand, oh, wow, there's tons of wisdom from ancient societies that I should be listening to and thinking about, right? And that, like all this stuff, it's far less of an intellectual thing than it is an emotional thing for me. Um, and, and doing that work, uh, that emotional work, feeling my feelings, 
was absolutely totally key to this. I could not have made this transition or seen this stuff or approached it this way without having done that work. And I'll, I'll give you a really good example. If, if I hadn't done the emotional work, it's specifically with psychedelic therapy for me, but if I hadn't really done the deep emotional work, I think my frame on what's going on would be a fighting frame. Like uh, my approach would be the woke or evil, they're trying to uh, take us over, this is a fight. I, I, it's not that I think that's wrong. That's just a very low level of consciousness, right? And don't get me wrong, the woke are fucked up and they're trying, and that whole philosophy is modern Puritanism and it is a, it is a, a humanistic uh, religion that is totally perverted. It, I mean, like I, I'm with James Lindsay and, and that whole, Christopher Rufo and that whole group, they've identified all that stuff really well. And I think they're a hundred percent correct. And those people are, um, essentially trying to end the world. I mean, we know how, we know how that movie ends. We, it was played in Soviet Russia. It was played in communist China. They're trying it here, whether they realize it or not. I think most people honestly are, are captured by ideas. Ideas have people, not people have ideas. But um, I would have seen this as a fight against those people. I don't think this is a fight against those people. I think those people and those ideas are an emergent property of the, the way the system is right now. And don't get me wrong. I mean, the first thing I talked about was defense, physical defense, mimetic defense, intellectual, emotional defense. I absolutely, I mean, I live on 50 acres that's hard to get to for a reason, right? Like I, we, you have to have to protect yourself against that, but the fight's not against them. Like it, it isn't. Anytime you see the world as a fight against something else, that's almost always projection. You're almost always projecting your internal shit, what Jung called the shadow, your internal shit on someone else. And so like, yeah, I got to defend against them, keep them at arm's length, of course. But I think um, the real issue is actually internalizing all that, you know, like, look, we're all part of the, the Western system, right? And for all the benefits of it, material abundance, freedom, things like that, there's been a downside, right? Uh, disconnection from environment, uh, disconnection from self, from spirituality. And I think wokeism and all that sort of stuff. And again, I'm talking metaphorically, I think mostly is the chickens of that, of the, of the, of the, the chickens coming home to roost in a sense. Right. And so like, um, uh, part of what I see this as and part of why I didn't uh, leave America, one, because I honestly don't think it's going to be that much safer anywhere else, right? I, like, if, you, if we're going to make a stand, I think this is the place to make sense, just my opinion. But also because I feel like, you know what? I was part of the system that created this. Even though, like, I was never one of them, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I can tell myself the story why I'm one of the good guys. But, like, here's the God's honest truth. When uh, in 2003, when we marched off to invade Iraq, um, and topple Saddam, I mean, Gulf War II, I was cheering everything along, right? I wish I could tell you that, like, I, I like the reality is, I, 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 well, there's no fucking reason to be in Iraq after 9-11, nonsense. Like, it was a complete fraud. And uh, was I fooled? Maybe. Or did I want to buy into the rah-rah, uh, destructive, machoism bullshit without actually having any skin in the game or going to fight? 
Yeah, maybe I did. You know, probably. Yeah, and you know what? And, and, so, and I think that. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, uh, I feel like a lot of this is the poison having to work itself out of the system, and so, which is why I'm optimistic long term. As long as the poison doesn't fully break the system to an unrecoverable place, um, what we can come out of this really well, because there's a lot of poison that has to be worked out of the system. And that's just the reality, man. Like even without wokeism, like the way that we live and uh, is not, not only not to say that it's unhealthy and it's unsustainable, it doesn't work. And what's cool is like, okay, out here on farm, building community, getting back to the land, growing our own food, we can just keep doing that and making that better and better and better. And it's like, not only will that help us survive the downturn that's coming, but we can thrive that way. I don't think we go back to living in massive glass tubes in the desert, which make no fucking sense, right? <laughs> like, yeah, and I, I actually love, I, I love this woo-woo conversation and Joe and I have gone back and forth um, a little bit about the role of whatever you might call spirituality in this because it's like um if if it is um one of those things where you make yourself as an individual resilient to start and then the, the concentric circles out um i i think psychological health is a huge key to that and i think um psychological health specifically with regard to being you know, working through your trauma the trauma of 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 you know growing up in western industrialized society and then um and then finding ways to connect and i and, and i personally take the the stance and and maybe some on twitter might call me a lib for this but like there are lots of ways to approach spirituality uh, connection to nature. I, I mm -hmm. definitely psychedelics have played a role for me. Um, I know that it it allow it increases people's um, scores on openness, for example. And and I I take a similar approach uh, as you, Tucker, toward um, what people might call the enemy. I just think like there are people who who I haven't. Made, <laughs> this sounds so stupid, but people I just haven't made friends with yet, or haven't like convinced yet that it's you know possible to see things differently and and to find ways to connect that sounds really cringe but i'm gonna say it anyways um i know joe has some thoughts on this do you want to hop in here yeah i don't know what my thoughts are on this so i'll, I'll just kind of speak and see where it goes i i will say I've, I've been very private about it frankly but i'll i'll say with you guys in in college especially i uh tried mushrooms on a, a number of occasions and for me that was a very uh important uh set of experiences as well um, it was important for some kind of opening to um, more unseen or, or hard to see kinds of forces operating in the world. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean something magical, but it just means that there's kind of this superficial level we're, we're living on day to day and there's other things going on underneath. And, and you can kind of think of the superficial stuff as like symptoms of, of some lower level systemic stuff happening. And, you know, with respect to, to wokeism and it being a, a kind of pseudo religion, I think that's exactly right that if you frame it as wokeism is the cause of something rather than the symptom of something, then you, you're seeing it wrong. You're not seeing what's really going on. And, you know, with respect, you're talking before about becoming a safe person, you know, just simple thought experiment. OK, let's say there's some kind of societal breakdown collapse. Uh, someone who happened to be uh, a subscriber to, to kind of woke ideology shows up at your doorstep, you know, are they your enemy? No. They're not, <laughs> you're, you're, they're not coming in my tribe. 
Like, they're not necessarily my enemy. They're only my enemy if they decide to make themselves my enemy, but they are not coming into my tribe. I, I was actually thinking of it differently that at that point, things would be so shaken up, they wouldn't even remember what wokeism is. Yeah, right. Exactly. It'd, yeah. It'd be, it'd be completely obliterated. Yeah. It wouldn't even matter at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, he, she, her, whatever. Like, let's, uh, let's, uh, that wokeism is a high privilege. Uh, yeah. high abundance uh, uh, belief. It is not a, 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 an apocalypse belief. <laughs> right, right. And, and you know, but, but, and it's filling a void. It's, it's like you, what you're calling the, this kind of Western culture. We've, we've pulled things out. We've, we've pulled things out in an intentional way, but we haven't refilled them at all. And so it, it fills itself. And, um, you know, uh, with respect to, to kind of what we might call spirituality or, or religion, religion, I think it's just, it's just, we have to admit to ourselves that, this is part of being human is, is having this aspect to our lives, especially at that community level, that there's, it's not uh, uh, something that you can just reason your way out of. There's no replacement and you can't, and uh, there's, there's sort of discussions that make it seem like, oh, well, you can take this piece and not that piece. And on some level that's true, I'm sure, but there's actually, mm. a, there's a holism to it that you can't yeah. take the pieces. There's a, it needs the whole thing. It's, it's, a bunch of mutually supportive elements. Um, so, so I'm, you know, I grew up very much, I, I would say atheist, but almost more like agnostic. Like we just didn't talk about that stuff in my household. Right. It wasn't part yeah. of anything. And um, so, so I think a bit of what's strange now is like intellectually recognized for me anyway, I can speak for myself here, intellectually recognizing the need. Um, but, but that awkwardness of like, okay, so I just sort of, pick one of these out of a hat and why this one why not that one do i try to intellectually convince myself to something like uh well joe i'll, I'll tell you for me man yeah. like uh the first time i did um lsd therapy i actually combined lsd and mdma this was a while into my therapy psychedelic therapy you know i've worked with some of the best guides in the world i got lucky enough that i'm connected in that world and um first time i did uh lsd combined with mdma um was the first time in my life I understood God, right? Or I understood what people mean when they talk about God, right? Like, uh, I'm kind of like you. I, You know, some people like are angry at religion or into religion. I, I grew up Episcopal and Episcopal is like Catholicism without the guilt. And so basically it's like a social club. I swear to God, I'm not kidding. Until I was 12, I thought we all went to church just to socialize. I didn't realize anyone actually believed in that because it seemed patently absurd to me I'm like, well, okay. and, like, and no one ever talked about it. My mom, no one in my family or friends, religion at all. We just all went to church and hang out and ate donuts and socialized. It was like, well, this is uh, the problem okay. Catholics have with the Protestants. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. But especially Episcopals, right? Because that's like, well, that's a church of England. And so like, uh, anyway, so um, uh, when I did LSD, I had a deeply, I don't want to go too far into details because it will just sound fucking insane. Uh, but uh, I had a deeply spiritual experience right and and well intellectually i'm like oh shit. i you know i studied the bible in college like i know you know the teachings of christ uh, you know decently well and stuff and it was none of them ever made sense to me beyond like an in like you know you read plato you read jesus okay now i got it like i got it like i was like oh fuck the kingdom of heaven is within of course what he means is we're an energetic system like and, like everything we need is inside of us i'm like oh fuck love thy enemy like it all made total sense not intellectually like it connected i felt it and i'll never forget man i got out like once i you know a couple of days later i recovered one of my good good friends is mormon and like mormon mormon like where's 
magic underwear moment, right? And like, um, I called him up and I'm like, dude, so like, hold on a minute. Is this why you believe in God? And I kind of explained, he's like, yes, I have. He has those experiences, that connection with what I call source or the universe, right? It, to, religion just embodies it as a father, you know, like, a, yeah, which is kind of patriarchal and a little bit weird. But like, I think we're talking about the same thing. And so we had the longest conversation about religion and all this sort of stuff. And, and I, I totally understood he, religion done right is an actual experience. It is not a thought process, right? And I, got, I totally got it. And then of course, the other thing I saw clear as day, which I knew kind of intellectually, pretty much all Western religion is LARPing someone else's experience. Like, think about it. Like, uh, the uh, uh, what the fuck the Catholics call it? The bread and wine, right? The uh, uh, sacrament. The Eucharist. Like, what, yeah. Eucharist. Sorry, the Eucharist. Um, I should know that. I was an acolyte in the Episcopal Church. I can't <laughs> even remember any of that. Uh, it, you are literally imitating the experience of Jesus instead of having the your own experience. It's an interesting Which, way of putting but, it. I, you know, because I've it struck me more that. Religion, as we've come come to know it, what we what we mean when we say religion is actually a system that is is in so, at least in some capacity designed to put you in the situation such that you do have those experiences. You know, it can, it does. Uh, like, I'm not saying it's not uh, allowed, but I'm saying most of the way I look at religion, man, is a bureaucracy built around an experience that tries to hide you from the experience. Because if they hide you from the experience, they get to control you, right? And and not all priests are like that. Not all, you know, whatever. Like, like there's been plenty of true divine souls who were uh, Catholics or Protestants or whatever. Um, uh, Anthony DeMello is a great example, right? Um, uh, but uh, that, because the, the core lesson I've gotten from psychedelic medicine, if I had to break it down to one thing, it's responsibility. It is, it's the, ironically the opposite of wokeism, right? Responsibility is the antithesis of wokeism. And the key thing I've taken out of psychedelics is um, I, what happened, like my trauma that happened to me, yeah, I used to blame my mom. My, my mom and dad were terrible parents in a lot of ways. Maybe angry at them. And it's like, okay, that may not be my fault, but it is now my responsibility to deal with, right? Like psychedelics don't make you forget that. They don't push it away. They actually force you or really don't force you, they open this space to allow you to actually deal with your shit, to take full responsibility. And then that's trauma. And then the, the, the mind awakening stuff is all it does is like strip the veil off of the story we tell ourselves about reality and allow us to see uh, at least a couple more layers of reality, if not all reality. That's all LSD, it was crazy, man. LSD was like, man, it was like, I was like, oh, fuck, man. I, I, it's like, I already know all of this, but I was not being fully honest with myself about a bunch of things or I was buying someone else's story or whatever. And that's when I realized like both religion is an experience. Uh, God is essentially source, right? And it's so funny. It, it like, I, it makes perfect sense. Like I know physics really well. So I'm sure you do too, Joe. The, the fucking shit, it's like it showed it to me like a movie. It's like, dude, you understand what's the key finding? It's almost like it was a dialogue in my head. What's the key finding of 20th century physics? 
there's a couple, but one of the big, the famous one is E equals MC squared. You understand that the whole thing is an energetic system, right? And I was like, oh, Christ, of course. If it's all, we know we're just energetic uh, being, we're energetic beings, right? We understand that we're all part. And I was like, oh my God, obviously, if it's all one system and different phases and parts of a system, then God is source. God is the system, right? And you can think of it that way or a, a, a heavenly father. It's all the same idea. And I was like, oh my, like it translated all of my physics knowledge into like, woo woo spiritual goofy talk and i was like yeah. oh my god of course you know yeah. I, will say, though, I will say that part of one of the things about like religion and the fact that there's multiple religions are what seem potentially to the outside as very small differences but small differences that make a, a, a not small difference in the kind of actions that follow from it so for instance i've been reading c.s lewis uh mere right. christianity and one of the parts of the argument that he's developing has to do with just what you said and whether that is the proper view of it or not. The, the sort of is the universe uh, uh, tantamount to God? Is God tantamount to the universe? Or is it some external source uh, that, right. is, that is identifiable as different and separate in some sense from the universe? And th these kinds of what look maybe like a little difference, maybe just like a semantic thing or something, can have profound differences in terms of how people decide to act, especially in uh, groups, I think. And Dude, 100%. Uh, the, yeah. But the, the, the thing I and took I would, from all this, go ahead, sorry, Ashley, go ahead. Oh, I would just add that I think like the experiential component that you're talking about, Tucker, underlies a lot of my, um, what I move toward. So if it, so religion and, and I, and, and respect in others moving toward for, for, for some people, religion moving toward the experience of going to mass and, um, giving themselves over to faith and, and the mystery of that good that that to me it's like seeking those experiences for, for I, I visited Joe this summer and I swam in his Creek to me, like that was that was a spiritual experience there's mm -hmm. and i think totally. even taking care of my kids and taking care of the land that we're on that is also a spiritual it, it's just an experience it's it's something that makes you feel something it's it's um connecting with the source so um i i think like i my my final question for you is related to this but it's the thing that i always tell people um you know my question is are the you, what what would you tell people who are looking to turn toward optimism who are who are stuck in some form of doomerism and, and, and lost as to where to go. For me, the answer is seek out experiences, seek out new and, and the, the skills, the skills you were talking about people learning, like going and learning plumbing is also so, an experience that makes you feel connected to some source, like the labor that you can produce with your hands, mm -hmm. real things that you can produce, like just connecting to, to actual work and, and the, and the material to be Marxist, the material conditions of your existence um, can be, can be a, an experience that, that changes you. But I don't know if you have any hey, other hey, advice. That's not fair. You just answered your own question. <laughs> no, I know, but he could probably make it better. <laughs> no, well, I, I have a different answer. Okay. I, I love that answer. It's really good. I would actually go a step back though. I would say um, it all begins with the decision to take full responsibility for yourself and your life. Like I thought I was a high responsibility, high agency person before I started psychedelic medicine. And what it, one of the things I learned on that medicine is I blamed a lot of other people and a lot of other things for a lot of shit in my life. 
right? And it's a big part of why I'm so um, uh, I'm so aggressive about preparing and getting all this stuff ready and not just for myself, but for the people around me, because I'm taking full responsibility for myself and then also dealing with people who are doing the same, right? And, and uh, I think almost everything great in life begins with the decision to take responsibility for yourself first and full and not the concept of radical responsibility, which is a little bit different. I mean, it's full. I am going to be, be responsible for myself, my emotions, my reality, my everything. Right. Um, I that I think you're talking about free will. Well, yeah, I, I truly, I, that you could absolutely you know what's funny? It, we could go down the rabbit hole of the free will debate. I actually, I think for me, it boils down to, I think it, this is going to sound so tautological, but it's true. I think <laughs> the debate over whether or not you have free will is actually a choice. You get to choose if you have free will or not. Whereas, you know, the, a lot of debates, do you have it or not? I think that's actually the wrong debate. The right debate is, are you choosing to take it or not? Medical. So yes. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, I, I agree. And, I, and also, to me, the skill of recognizing that where there are moments for agency, and then jumping on them, I think like a lot of people don't really realize the amount of power they really have, and, and to try to see the world through the lens of the power that they have. And the, and the, the even if you if it's only tiny bits of movement, move toward what you can, what you can make change the level you can make change at even if it's just, you know, literally yourself and your own psychology, to go back to Jordan Peterson. Um, so Joe, why don't you um, make a final uh, statement yourself, and then tee up uh, Tucker to make his final statement? Sure. So, so one of the things I was, I was hoping to get back to, and we won't have time, but just as a, a kind of interest I have that maybe we can, we can take offline or have another discussion later or something, is actually what your uh, near-term plans are, Tucker, for your building out your ranch, especially with respect to animals and, and, and veggie planting and whatever you have in mind, especially around the, the issue of food production, how you've been thinking about that. I do get that it's not rocket science. Um, and actually, that's been one of my heart, hardest major challenges with, with growing food is getting my... Keeping uh, it simple. Keeping it yeah. simple, getting the overthinking out of the way, not, not analysis paralysis, just try something, see how it goes and go from there kind of thing. Uh, so we're starting with livestock because um, you can't really live on plants. Yeah, we can debate that, but it's much easier to live on livestock. So steers in the 40 acres of, of grazing land we have, uh, egg and meat chickens in our big chicken area, and then a couple lambs. That's where we're going to start and go from there. Have you, uh, will this be your first time with that kind of stuff? or No, I, I well, sort of. Yes, basically. My, my grandmother had a beef cattle ranch, um, but I moved out. Like I left Kentucky when I was 16 because I came from a shitty rural area, not like a good one. So I got the fuck out. And now 30 years later, here I am back, not the same place, but on a ranch. Yeah. Well, that, that's a beautiful thing, man. Good luck with all that. And I'll be watching closely and seeing how that develops. So I guess my final statement is just, you know, one of the things that's that's impossible to miss about this whole network that's kind of uh, finding one another is how different the different perspectives we've all come from. Like no one's from the same place. No one's from the same experience. But we're all kind of arriving at something very uh, uh 
harmonious well, if not so, totally coherent. So you guys normally end this on cutting me off. You got to cut me off now. I have to pee so bad. I'm oh, okay. literally going to wet my, my pants. So, just that, that, thanks, Doc. I, I got it right now. Yeah, yeah.